Welcome back to 15 on the 15th. Today's bite-sized book club podcast is based on a post from the Cult of Pedagogy blog called A Strength-Based Approach to Teaching ESL. And I think I can speak for everyone in the ENL program when we say that we love this post so much that we wish we had written it ourselves. My name is Claire Roach. I'm one of the coordinators of the ENL program at the University of Notre Dame. And I'm here with some of my favorite people on the planet, Katie, Jenny, and Patti. Why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are? Hello, I'm Jenny. I'm one of the coordinators of the ENL program. I'm thrilled to be back with all of you and um, glad I made it today. This may be my last podcast for a while as baby number four is due anytime. Hi, I'm Katie LaShawn, and I'm the director of the ENL program. We're so blessed to have our colleague, Patty Salazar-Hardy, with us today. Um, Patty is calling in from Los Angeles, and I'll, I will allow Patty a few minutes to tell you about, uh, about herself. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is uh, Patricia Salazar-Hardy, and um, everyone on the ENL faculty knows me as Patty. I've worked in education for 11 years in Catholic and public schools. And I'm currently the principal of St. Sebastian School, a dual language school in Los Angeles. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons why I'm so connected to the program is because I myself am an ELL. I grew up speaking two languages, uh, Spanish and English. And I'm just so blessed to be able to share my experiences with other colleagues, with other teachers, um, so as to make um, English language learners' experiences in the classroom a lot more positive. Patti, we're so excited that you're with us here today. And listeners, in the next 15 minutes, we're going to be breaking apart an article written by Laura Lentz, who calls herself a teacher nerd and is featured on the Cult of Pedagogy blog. The article she wrote, A Strength-Based Approach to Teaching ESL, is short, it's full of great stories, and thoroughly inspiring for educators working with linguistically diverse populations. Thank you for joining us today. So ladies, Lenz opens her article by throwing a spotlight on how easy it can be for us as educators to dwell only on our students' deficits. She writes that teachers are so often trained to identify gaps, to spot deficiencies. And the danger, of course, is that when we focus so much on what kids don't yet know, we can miss altogether what they do know. We can miss their strengths. We can fail to recognize the assets within their community. And so my first question is, does anybody have any personal stories of coming to this realization on your own in your own classroom? I can, I can definitely speak from a personal perspective. Um, when I was reading this article, I couldn't help but put myself in, in these children's shoes that we're talking about because I distinctly remember being in class with Ms. Harrison in first grade and thinking all I wanted to do was please her. And I can't forget the look that she would give me um, and, and, and kind of just in awe of me and thinking, why don't you get what I'm talking to you about? <laughs> um, and that being said, you know, I did have a lot more positive experiences later on. But from an ELL perspective, um, I can definitely say that you definitely feel the energy uh, from the teacher, um, either positive or negatively, um, and how important it is to to send out that positive vibe um, is exactly how this article states, you know, saying um, that our ELLs come with assets. 
um, and, and they understand what's happening. They just need a little extra push in terms of vocabulary and sentence stems um, that's going to help them communicate um, the topics that, that are being discussed at the moment. Um, so uh, definitely from, from a very personal perspective, I, I have strong memories of, of being in ELL and being in that situation of, of where I wasn't seen as having assets. Um, so I just think it's so important that this article highlights um, this topic because it's something that um, that isn't um, that isn't thought of too often, and it's the soft skills that a teacher needs to have in order to connect with an ELL that um, are just so important that are there. Absolutely, Patti. Um, I've heard you say on several occasions that a child should not have to wait an entire lifetime um, for them to feel that their language and culture are an asset um, and something to be celebrated. Um, and we're so fortunate in our program um, to always have you and, and your example of that. I wanted to pick up on something you said about the general tone of a teacher, and I want to highlight some of the language that we often use with English language learners um, has a negative connotation. So we'll say things like a child or a family has broken English. Um, you know, the problem with these children is um, they're limited English proficient, etc. cetera. Um, I want to contrast this with the actual image that's on top of the article, um, which is a beautiful picture of a child in a cape. Um, and when I think of a child in a cape, I think of a child that is anything but limited. I think of a child that is brave, bold, strong, and powerful. Um, to me, this links to our English language learners. And the example that I want to share is that I had a child in a second grade class from Turkey. His name was Saeed. Um, and, you know, we kind of all um, had a lot of learning to do, both myself, the child, um, and the other students as well. But when it came to math, um, Saeed was grade levels ahead of where we were in terms of math. Um, and his ability to, to teach us, to teach all of us and show us a different way of, um, of borrowing. I was joking this morning, I think it was borrowing. I can't remember. It was several years ago, right? Um, but he had a very unique way of, of conducting math problems and something that we all learned from. Um, and especially one child in particular really took to kind of this, um, this unique way of approaching math problems. So it was just an asset overall and a real place for this child to shine. You know, Katie, along along the same lines of, of you know, just talking about children um, and how we need to approach them with with a, with a, a, um, not a deficit mindset, with the, with an asset of kind of growth mentality. I think it's important to communicate this with parents as well, um, because I think sometimes these parents are are also coming in. Um, they're immigrants, migrants, refugees, and they're already feeling less than just by being in this country and having a different culture. Um, and so sometimes they themselves feel like they're less than and they transmit that to their to their children and they kind of start to have these these thoughts of, you know, maybe you should only speak English and maybe I should only speak English to you. Um, and and therefore the conversations at home are a lot limited, a lot more limited um, because they feel like they're doing their child a disservice when in reality, we all know that research points to the opposite. It points to the fact that if children's literacy um, is built up in their native language, and their second language is going to be that much more stronger. Um, so I think it's important to also educate parents. So knowing that as educators, it can be so easy to get fixated on gaps and deficiencies. Um, Patti, I think you get, just gave a great example of um, 
how a school can build in structures that help ensure um, that ELLs and their school community see um, that speaking more than one language um, is a gift and that English learning students are full of potential and their assets to our communities. Um, I'm curious whether or not anybody has any other examples of how schools can actually build into um, the structures of the schools, systems that help us um, communicate to ELLs that they are full of potential, that they are bold and brave, as you mentioned, Katie. Actually, Claire, um, your question and Patty's comment remind me of an event that we attended together last year. We went over to um, one of the local elementary schools, a very diverse school. Um, if I'm correct, 21 languages were spoken there. And um, they had a fabulous culture night. And it was very evident that the school had reached out to parents and asked them to come in and celebrate their culture and then had embarked on this journey as an entire school community. But every wall in the building, every hallway, the library, the gym, everything was full of artwork and research papers and personal stories and celebrations from all over the world. And um, families came in and shared their traditional um, clothing and cooking and just had a wonderful celebration. But the thing that sticks with me are these beautiful videos that they had made where the English language learners in the building became became the experts. Do you remember? They did. They were the experts. They were teaching about their home countries and their home languages. And I remember just standing there watching these videos, being in awe of the expertise and the knowledge that these children were sharing. So my memory of this particular video, Jenny, is that the ELLs were teaching the rest of their classmates how to count from one to 10 in their native language and how to say um, hello and goodbye. So A, you could see these beautiful faces on the screen. It was so special to be videotaped. But B, I mean, what I think left you and me so, um, so profoundly impacted by was the message behind it, which is, oh my gosh, look at this incredible skill that our students have in, the, in their multilingual capacity. And um, they have something to teach the rest of us. Exactly. That's exactly what stuck out. And the fact that the whole school had spent so much time in preparation of this huge celebration mm-hmm. and spotlighting these students and their families. It was just very, very memorable and a beautiful yeah. celebration. It was value added for sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the two, look, I just wanted to add two things, um, two ways that um, at, at schools that I've been at um, that we kind of promote this is um, one is just simply by creating dialogue journals in the classroom. Um, that's something that you can do um, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, um, and set up a system where it's not overwhelming and you don't have to constantly be checking and writing in journals, but picking them up by groups and saying maybe, you know, this is my Monday group, this is my Tuesday group. Um, and it was in these dialogue journals that I actually um, really was able to connect with the student because just by me being an an ELL by default doesn't make me a better teacher, right? I still have to apply and and still have to be cognizant and and remind myself of of best practices. Um, And so, um, you know, I always always say just because I'm Mexican-American doesn't mean that I can connect with all Mexican-Americans. I have to find the specific 
things that, um, you know, make up a, a specific person's culture, right? Because it can be so different depending on their family and where they're from in a different part of Mexico. So um, long story short, I, I made a connection with my student, Jose, um, in third grade when I was teaching at the public schools. And um, I remember him writing about horse riding. Um, and I just thought, wow, that's really interesting. Where is there a place to, to ride horses around here? Um, and so anyway, the next day he brought me in a picture and we kind of kept this dialogue going. Um, and as we continued to have this dialogue and he continued to share pictures with me and talk about his weekend events, um, I, I was able to really connect with him on a personal level on something that he was an expert in and something that his family really enjoyed spending time on. Um, and so then we were able to translate that into the classroom. And so whenever I felt like he gave a little bit less than, the, um, you know, the effort that was desired in class, I could reference his horse riding skills and his experience doing that. And I could say, remember riding a horse wasn't always that easy, um, but you spent a lot of time on that and you practiced that. Um, and so I think just even something as old as time is kind of saying, um, just taking an interest, a personal interest in students and, and being able to do that um, in a really uh, systematic way in your classroom, uh, specifically with dialogue journals, was something that was uh, really took off in my classroom. Patti, thank you for saying that because it's such a great segue to what I hope will be our final topic of conversation. And that's that although this article doesn't specifically, of course, mention Pope Francis, I do, I couldn't help but think that Pope Francis's worldview is sort of written and apparent throughout. Francis calls all of us Catholics to foster a culture of encounter, of reaching out. And one thing that struck me about this article is that seeing strengths and assets sort of necessitates that teachers encounter, that they reach out to their students um, and to their students' families and communities. And I think this dialogue journal that Patti just gave us as an example is a great model for how we come to encounter our students. Does anybody else have anything they want to add? Actually, one of the, one of the second things I was going to add to, um, to what we just were talking about was um, I, I worked in the school um, in Los Angeles, actually in, um, in East L.A. for two years. And something that was really successful with our families was our early literacy sessions that we held. Um, and the early literacy sessions had a really simple kind of routine to them, if you will. And we only held them once a week. Um, we sang songs. We looked at vocabulary together. We read a big book with the whole class. And then we gave time for the caregivers to model the way I had read to the children, right? So each one of the caregivers had a book. And they sat their child on their lap and they read with them for about five minutes. And then we came back and we did a writing activity, writing activity. And after the writing activity, we shared our work. And so the children got used to this routine. And the parents would tell me, you know, they want to come. They can't wait for Fridays. They are so looking forward to our sessions. Um, and, you know, I felt like this was a really concrete way that we could reach out to our families who maybe um, don't have formal literacy training or those families who maybe um, in conversation at the literacy sessions would say, oh, is it okay for me to read to my child in my native language? And I would say, of course, you know, and then I'd go off on my research and kind of layman's terms and they would love it. And we built this strong relationship and not only were they learning early literacy skills and, and they, they were taking home strategies to use with their children, but they also just 
felt like they could ask me questions. Their children were engaged um, in a classroom setting, and they started to build this love of learning. Um, so uh, just a really concrete way of, of, of reaching out to our families, right? Oftentimes, uh, I sit next to educators at trainings, and they say, oh, these families are illiterate. You know, they don't know anything about the iPhone. They don't know about anything about apps. Um, they, don't, they don't even know that it's important to read to their children. And my response is simply, well, then get out there and do something about it, right? Start an early literacy session. Um, so I, I think that's just a really concrete way for, um, for people to, um, at schools to reach out to um, families even before they're in their school-aged, their children are school-aged. Thank you, Patti. What a beautiful way to encounter families um, and to enable and invite uh, families as well. You know, I think one easy way to do this in our schools, um, especially our Catholic schools, in in really finding the place where we encounter each other the most and where we encounter um, certainly God would be the Mass. So one easy way to include our families, um, all of our families, is to Look at what our liturgical celebrations mm -hmm. look like. Are they inclusive? Can we invite children with their strength of being bilingual to mm -hmm. read readings in, um, in their native language? Can we invite families to help everyone to learn a new song in their native language? Um, can we celebrate feast days that are relevant to particular cultures? Can we certainly have diverse images in our church? Um, you know, truly, we have the most beautiful universal church, and that is what's unifying about our faith. And so I think that's a really easy way for our Catholic schools um, to be able to tap into our families. Katie, that totally reminds me that um, we in the ENL program, along with a couple other units in ACE, are developing that resource to help schools um, celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe this year. And um, it reminds me, as we were trying to decide which music to put into the liturgical guide, uh, a couple of the people that were looking at it had some questions like, ooh, would this song be a little bit difficult to execute, for example, if the school community had never sang it? Or the example that we listened to had sort of a mariachi feel to it. And uh, one of our colleagues, who's just been wonderful, had said, well, all a school needs to do is reach out to their Mexican-American community and see if somebody has a teal that plays a trumpet or... Um, an abuelo that plays the violin. And that just simply inviting one or two parents to come and add to the to the liturgy um, would would not just make the liturgy um, richer, but would truly help the school in, in terms of being able to actually execute um, this particular mass. So I thought that was a good reminder. And then, oh, and by the way, if anybody's interested on this Our Lady of Guadalupe um, liturgical guide and a couple examples of how you might celebrate it in your school, you can go to enl.nd.edu and click on our resources tab. And we'll make sure that we have that very easily available for you. And then the final example I just wanted to give um, was, um, you know, another system that a school can institute. Patti talked about something before school um, and that example of the dialogue journal during the day. Katie talked about the liturgical life of the school. There's also great opportunity in after-school enrichment. So the last story I just wanted to add was that um, in addition to having um, opportunities during a school day, like dialogue journals or in school liturgies and before school, as Patti mentioned, in the early literacy program, there's also opportunities after school in after school enrichment. So um, the story I have is just that there's a large 
Japanese population at my children's school. And several of the mothers we came to discover are very good at origami. So we reached out. We tried to have that spirit, that spirit of encounter. And we asked them if they would ever be interested in teaching an origami class. And let me tell you, this origami class was a total hit because all the kids love doing origami. And so they weren't just learning from these wonderful experts um, that were in our own school community, but they were also learning um, some basic phrases in Japanese. They were learning things like you take off your shoes before you walk into the classroom. Um, so I, to me, that was just a great ex example of something I'll never forget of, of how much it can pay off to reach out and then to look within your students and your school community for all these awesome skills that they have. So we just wanted to thank everybody again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Patti, make sure you remind all those kids at St. Sebastian that they are so blessed to be learning in two languages and give them lots of abrazos for um, everyone here in our ENL family. And listeners, we invite you to tell us your own stories about how you've come to recognize the strengths of your ELL students and how they've enriched your school communi community. We would love it if you emailed us and shared some of these stories. And then finally, if you out there, listeners, if you also believe that English learners make Catholic schools more authentically Catholic and better places to learn, we invite you to become ENL Hernandez Fellows. Applications can be found online at enl.nd.edu. We love encountering diverse and passionate educators from around the country, and we would love to read your applications and to join us, the application deadline is March 31st. And we hope to encounter many of you next month with the English as a New Language 15 on the 15th podcast. God bless.